chance to ask questions if anyone has any. The question was um, uh, the the one asking the question asked. We often hear uh, that we should have faith in Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, and should we contemplate or see that as three separate things, or are they all one one and the same thing? Um, Tanajan explained that the, the quality of Buddha that we put our faith in is really that quality of uh, knowing, the knowing and the awakened mind of a Buddha, of an enlightened Buddha. Um, what does the mind know and what is it awakened to? Well, it's the Dhamma. And the quality of the Sangha, those who have followed in the path of the Buddha, well, they also reach the same quality of knowing and awakenness so in practice they they really all come out of the same thing it's that um, potential for the human mind to um, experience experience this state of knowing awakenness um, and then the Krubrajan that we might meet say in this modern era and have faith in they've also developed that same quality and we can have faith in them and their teachings um, say the core what and the, the ways of practice that they teach we can have faith in that as helping as as skillful means leading to this state and state of awakeness um, but really they're representing the Buddha the, the Dhamma the Sangha uh, so it, in the end it all comes back to the same thing uh, there's a question um, based on the comment Tanajan said about how Ajahn Chah said he could tell a monk whether he was peaceful and mindful just by the way he walked or the way he behaved. And the question was, um, is it necessary to develop good sila, uh, good restraint in the sila, in the virtue first in order to give rise to samadhi? Or when we've developed samadhi then this will um, bring up our sila and lead to this disciplined external behavior um, and Ajahn just quoted how the Buddha had said that um, good practice of sila will always bring samadhi as its result or its benefit and good development of samadhi will bring wisdom insight as its benefit um, but the presence of wisdom will also support the practice of sila. So in the end, these are three mutually supporting qualities. So they form almost like a circle, and you can't really separate them off from each other. Um, to give an example of how we might practice with this, um, say at Wapapong, the way of practice is we eat our food in our bowls. And the rules around eating in food in our bowls is that we are required to keep our eyes trained on our own bowl, the food we have in our own bowl, and not to look at other people's bowls and the food they're eating or the way they're eating. If one does, then it's an offense of dukkata. If you think about it, this is a very direct way to develop mindfulness, and this mindfulness can grow into samadhi. If you're just keeping your mind fixed on your own bowl and the food you're eating in your own bowl. Uh, for example, one time there was an older monk 
who perhaps wasn't yet very restrained and one day they're eating the meal and the chicken uh, made a noise outside so he was distracted and he looked away at the chicken and Ajahn Chah said, see, you, your mind has been born with that chicken. I mean, you've lost your mindfulness and your restraint and you're, you're letting your mind, your eyes wander to look at that chicken. So you can see, if you learn or train yourself to restrain your eyes and keep them fixed just on your own bowl and the food in your bowl, this can keep your mind very concentrated on what you're doing, on the process of the, the act of eating. From this, we can keep contemplating with our mindfulness and then contemplating with wise reflection on the food that we eat, contemplating it to see the food as just the four elements and as, as not self. And indeed, monks have done this and they've actually become enlightened, completely freed their mind of kilesa doing this. Just a question about um, children, offspring, um, whether the wish to have kids or to not have kids is uh, wholesome or unwholesome. Um, Tanajan is just explaining if you perhaps you have the wish, you want a child, you're married, you want a child, but you're not unable for some reason to have one, some physical problem preventing that. Well, that'll be one kind of suffering, but probably a mild suffering, just unfulfilled desire. Um, if you want kids and you're able to have them and you do have them, the Buddha actually said this will be an even greater suffering You've, already, you've achieved having kids, but then you have to bring them up. And the process of bringing up children involves a lot of burden and a lot of effort. So it's actually greater suffering. Um, then further question was, so is the, is the thought, I don't want kids, is that unwholesome? Is that evil? Um, the answer is no, not necessarily. Um, if you have kids and then actually try to destroy them or say a woman gets pregnant and wants an abortion, well, that is unwholesome. But just not wanting kids is not necessarily an unwholesome thought or desire. Um, it could be born of this understanding that having children is a burden, it's dukkha, and one wants to not have that burden, wants to ded dedicate one's efforts more to the practice perhaps, then it wouldn't be an unwholesome thing to not want to have kids. Um, or in the case of the questioner, sometimes we might have a desire, an inward desire to have kids, but at the same time we feel the world is a difficult place at this time. Economically it's difficult. We're not really ready to have them, so we just put it off, postpone it. Is that wrong? Um, and no, that's, that's just a wise decision, and one can have that maybe based on a wise reflection say, oh, we're not ready or it's not the appropriate time to have children. Um, so basically, if one doesn't have children, well, then one is free from a lot of worries. If one does have children, well, that, that is something that once one has children, one has a duty, a responsibility to bring them up. And then they also, as offspring of parents, as we're all children of parents, we all have also a duty to attend to the needs of our parents, particularly in old age, because we have that debt that they've brought us up. 
the question was based around the value or the benefit of temporary ordination coming into the monastery for a period of time and practicing and what benefit will that bring to us when we go back to the lay life and to other people that are involved with us in our lay life. So Tanajan just um, gave a, a rough summary of the kind of qualities that we're developing in, in our life in the monastery that will also help us back in the lay lives. So say when we come into the monastery we might be somebody who has no sila, we're not, we don't live in a virtuous way, we've never thought about that. Um, so it might bring us to contemplate and think what is sila, what is virtue or morality and start, we might start acting in a more moral, more virtuous way because we're living in a monastery. Or we might have some sila but coming into the monastery we refine that, we develop it on a more refined and detailed, more disciplined way. So we're improving our practice of sila either way. Um, the other quality we're really developing in the monastery is this quality of mindfulness, sati. And as we develop that, we, we develop more self-control, more awareness of our own behavior on every level, on our speech, our actions and our mind. And we tend to become a little cooler, more peaceful in our behavior because of this heightened practice of mindfulness. So for instance, maybe we're someone who used to get angry very easily and very often. Now through the presence of more mindfulness, we can see the harm of that. So we have more restraint, more carefulness in our behavior. We don't get angus, angry so often. Um, we have more patience, more self-control. Um, these are kind of the kind of qualities that are very useful when we go back into the lay life. Um, we might be somebody who is very opinionated. We know a lot and think we know a lot. And before we come into the monastery, maybe that leads us to always be one who's always arguing with others and differing with others on opinions and views about the world and different things. But when we come into the monastery, again, we develop more mindfulness. We can see some of the suffering of that. And so we might develop more sensitivity towards others. We can accept other people's views and ideals and opinions better. Uh, we might learn to communicate better, listen to others as well as uh, putting forth our own opinions. So we tend to argue less once we've trained in a monastery. These are the kind of qualities and experiences we develop in a monastery. And when we go back to the lay life, well, we can apply them. Obviously, we have to remember that the lay life is... Often there's more temptation, more distraction, it's busier. So we might not be able to keep up quite the same level of practice as we had in the monastery. But nevertheless, it should certainly improve. Uh, so maybe you know, we, we used to get uh, angry ten times over one thing. Maybe now we get angry nine times out of it over that same issue or whatever, you know, it might just have a little bit of improvement, but that's still better, it's going in the, the right direction.